Hi, I'm Hunter Visser, and today I'm with Larry Wilson unpacking some of the stories behind his newest book, Defenseless Moments, A Different Perspective on Serious Injuries. Today we're going to be talking about Chapter 12, titled What Really Causes Rushing and a Different Perspective on Employee Engagement. If you haven't had a chance to read this chapter yet or read the articles, check out the episode notes where you can find a link to purchase the book on Amazon or read the article on the Paradigm Shift website. It will help make this conversation a lot more meaningful. Hi, and welcome back to the Defenses Moments podcast. I'm here with Larry today talking about the final chapter of his book, or the last paradigm shift. And I know I've said this before, but I found this paradigm shift really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I like them all too. So it's, it's, it, it is, it's hard to have a favorite, but these two came, you know, much later on. So um, they, they, seem, they seem newer, and I guess because they're newer, maybe a bit more relevant. But um, if you think about somebody who is just coming across these paradigm shifts for the first time, just because something's newer to me doesn't necessarily mean that this is better than the three sources of unexpected or the most dangerous things don't really cause the worst injuries. But, you know, for me, those, those were over 20 years ago. So, like I said, these ones are, are much more recent. So it, 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 it just tends to seem, it tends to seem more relevant, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the first one is what really causes rushing. Um, and we're going to dive into that one. That one's quite humorous. And the second is, it's all about engagement or really the key to meaningful engagement. So maybe let's just start with the first one, which is why do people rush? Well, if you ask anybody, I mean, certainly you've seen me do this in front of hundreds of people at a conference. Um, you ask anybody, why do people rush? And you can almost hear the audience blurt out who are planning. You ask anybody, just, you know, hey, why do people rush? They'll say poor planning. And then you just need to go one step further. And I don't know what took me so long. But have you ever planned to rush? Have you ever said to your friends, hey, no, let's just stay here. Have another cup of cappuccino. That way, when we get to the airport, we can be in a real frenzy. We can struggle with the kiosk. When that won't work, we can then go wait in line, talk to the person, we can run to the security thing, plead with everybody in line to let us butt in, and then we can run down the hallway dragging our roller bags and our stuff, dressed in our business clothes, so we can sit there in our seats soaked in our own sweat going, yes, this is exactly the way I planned it. And nobody does that because it's stressful. But if you forget your laptop, or you forget your passport and you remember it halfway to the airport, now you're going to be rushing and you are going to be going as fast as you can back home or to the apartment to get it. And you're going to be driving just as fast as you can back to the airport. And you will be pleading with everybody in line and you will be running down the hallway. Only this time you'll be thankful to be sitting there in your seat. going, Oh my God, thank goodness I made it. And then, after you calm down, it might occur to you, why in the world am I doing this again? I certainly didn't plan it. 
nobody would plan this. And that's when I started thinking about it. Okay, well, wait a minute. Nobody is planning to rush, but we all rush almost every day. Why? How many deadlines? How many crucial things are there? Really? Is it really all deadlines? Is it really all this, you know, if you will, maleficent management pressure that is just killing us, weighing us down, like the old picture of the guy's head in the vice, and it says, go ahead, give it one more turn. You know, gallant <laughs> slaves with the person with the whip and the drum. Is it really like that, really? Or is it much more personal? Like, what? watch what happens the next time you drop your keys, for instance, or your phone. Watch how fast you pick them up. If you go out to the car and you realize you forgot your phone, or, you know, a female, you forgot your purse. Watch how fast you go back to get it. It will be a little bit quicker than the way you walked out. Even if there isn't a deadline or a plane to catch. Because we don't, we want to make up for the time that we just wasted. You might walk down the stairs to leave the house. But if you realized you forgot the car keys upstairs in your coat pocket, watch now you're going up the stairs. It's more effortful to run, but you'll be more likely to run up the stairs because you just wasted a bit of time, right? Mm -hmm. So now take that out to the workplace. And the line's gone down and everybody's waiting. You need to get out there as the maintenance person, the tradesperson to fix this. You get out there. And you realize that you forgot the Allen wrenches or, or you forgot the right weld rods or the right socket wrench or whatever it was. And you've got to go back to the tool crib to get it. Now, even if there was only four or five people waiting around, even if one of those people waiting around wasn't your boss, how fast would you likely be going back to the tool crib? About as fast as you could. Well, probably, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's the whole thing. Now you're rushing, but you might not see the the spill in the corner. You might not see the paper piece of paper on the the flight of steps, and you lose your balance. You fall down, sprain your wrist, or maybe um, crack a bone in your elbow. And then when everybody says, "Why were you rushing?" you say, "For production." You know, I didn't want everybody, you know, I, I wanted to get the line back up, you know, and so you'll hear this all the time from safety professionals going in, but he's a, he's a good worker. I mean, he was just trying to get the, he was just trying to get the job done. He's an excellent tradesperson. He just likes to get, you know, he just wanted to get, he just wanted to get the job done. And so it's a natural inclination to rush when you make mistakes. Now, the next thing is to start thinking about how many little mistakes you make all the time, you know, whether it is just forgetting the car keys in the car, you know, coat pocket upstairs, you know, things like that. And no wonder we all sort of, you know, end up, we're making 30 to 50 little mistakes a day. There's no wonder there's a, there's a fair bit of rushing, but some of those mistakes, like the forgetting the passport or forgetting the laptop might not be little mistakes and some of the things may not always lend themselves 
to always having backup or redundancy. Like you can always say, you know, leave more time. You can always say, bring more backup, right? But the reality of all of that is that it is inefficient. It costs money. And quite frankly, it's a lot of extra weight to just carry around, figuratively speaking. So most people prefer to cut the fat, right? Mm -hmm. But the whole thing is all like as we talked about before the whole thing all of that pattern is actually very predictable right so you know you can anticipate when you might be in a rush and you can also have checklists for critical items and you can also make sure that you don't get complacent about the double checking so you can give the people the tools that they need now we can actually set an alarm to anticipate when the states are likely going to cause defenseless moments so we will be much less likely to have our guard down all we need to do is rate our state at that time you'll get a good sense of how the whole light board is you know how it's lighting up you got any eights you got any nines sevens how am i doing um you think about what's the most expensive, what's the most time consuming, what could be the most damaging to customer relations and typically and safety if things are moving. And typically those those really bad things won't happen. So we've we've got the tool set, if you will, we, we've got the knowledge and we've actually got the ability now with technology like setting you don't have to carry an alarm clock around with you i mean talk about redundancy i mean people what's the alarm clock for <laughs> oh it's to remind me to think about not making a mistake at three o'clock i mean people would have been <laughs> looking at you whereas your your phone bings at three o'clock and you look at it nobody's even going to ask you who pinged you because it could be any one of 100 200 600 contacts that you that you have, or it could be a telemarketer or, you know, somebody trying to sell you something, <laughs> but nobody's going to be paying any attention to that. Right. So we've got, we've got everything we need now. All we got to do is get the people to use it. Okay. So that brings us naturally into the second part of this chapter, which is engagement or meaningful engagement. But if you don't mind, can we step back just a little bit? Let's think about, Larry, for example, if a large company is doing, you know, a big turnaround, a big construction project, maybe they've got a shutdown. What is the likelihood that they could achieve an error-free project or get through this big stressful moment without making any mistakes? And, and those mistakes causing delays and people to rush. And the, the likelihood on a, on a two-week turnaround or a shutdown is zero. So if you think about... Um, you know, all somebody has to do is make one little typo, like say there's a sixth instead of the the sixteenth, so that the cement truck gets there a week late, or it's ordered a week late, and when they phone, they can only get it there the next day. So now the project is a day behind, and that's if it's somebody else's error. Like I said, now everybody else is behind and they're going to be inclined to rush but that temptation 
when it's somebody else's mistake, somebody at the head office, for instance, or, you know, in admin, that isn't as bad as if it's your mistake, though. So, for instance, say you, like, say you were a construction superintendent for residential construction, like one of our consultants, uh, Joe Tantarelli, he did this for years. And I just was asking him a hypothetical question. I just said, Joe, I said, you know, back in the day when, you know, you were doing the, you know, doing the construction and digging out the basements, I said, if everything was all dug out, the pipes were there, you look down, the cement truck's pulling up, and you look down and you realize that the 90-degree elbow pipe, if that wasn't there, I said, how fast would you be driving into town to the hardware store to get it? And he looked at me and he said, I got clocked at 85. I, I just, I, I was only asking him, I, he was like, how did you know kind of thing? And I'm like, I, I, Joe, I didn't. I was only asking a hypothetical question. And then he just blurts out. He goes, and when I told the cop what happened, he let me off without a warning. He said, you don't even have time for this. He said, but you got to slow down. You could kill somebody on the street. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Is that because he was doing it for production and because he told the cop that his superintendent was coming by that afternoon and it was going to be, you know, his butt in the sling sort of thing. The cop let him off, which is actually another interesting sort of thing about how I did it for production being one of the the very best excuses. But um, I'm... uh, (laughs) I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that one for the next book because it's in 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 and of itself. It's a it's a heck of it's a heck of a paradigm shift. Only the excuses that work survive. You might have told your grade school teacher that the Martians stole your homework, but you didn't tell your boss that the Martians stole your report because it yeah. didn't work back then. And you got a pretty good idea. It's not going to work today, right? So only the excuses that work survive. And one of the very best is I did it for production. But the, the, the reason you're rushing goes back to I made a mistake, which normally just is, is omitted in a lot of that explanation in terms of the the why you were rushing. I was doing it for production. The line was down. I didn't want everybody waiting. That sounds a lot better than I screwed up and I forgot to bring the Allen wrenches. That's why I was rushing. Because now it makes it sound like you were rushing because you aren't, like it was your own fault sort of thing as opposed to you're rushing because you're, a good employee and you want production to go right it's it and it's really all the same thing in a way you are a good employee we all do make mistakes so it's only natural we don't want our mistake to cause everybody else to be delayed but we also like i said even if there's nobody around and nobody watching watch how fast you walk back into the house or watch how fast you run up the stairs And you'll realize right then that most of it is internal, that most of the reasons we rush are internal. So a company can come a long way with making the culture accepting of making mistakes and talking about mistakes and bring that sort of more into the open to encourage people to share. 
but eventually we have to go beyond just making people comfortable about talking about making mistakes to the point where actually they're using tools and techniques to prevent the mistakes in the first place. Yeah. The first step is, is to make them comfortable enough about the air. We all make mistakes so that in their effort to cover it up or to compensate for it, they don't make a more serious mistake, like not doing the risk assessment, for instance, or taking that extra five minutes to go verify the lockout on, on the new disconnect or whatever, whatever it is, right? That confined space entry, lower explosive limit check that you need to do. Those, those critical, those critical things, like, did you check the right couloir? Life and limb things. Sometimes when you're in a rush and you've got a certain amount of baseline complacency, that's, that's, an, that's enough to do it. So first step is you want people to sort of recognize, hey, don't, don't make it worse. Don't try to cover it up. We're all cool about the air. Now, the next thing is we'd be happier, though, and so would you. We all would be if we didn't make the air in the first place. So eventually, yes, you need to transfer the school, the, the skills and the tools to the individuals so that they can prevent the air in the first place. And we've got those tools and skills, if you will, with anticipating air and rates your state. So you, you've probably heard knowledge is power, right? Well, yeah, but if you don't put the knowledge into action, I think we'd all agree, not nearly as much power as if you could get it put into action. So all these years going out and talking to people about what they were doing or what they had just been doing, and all I needed to do is just flip the coin over and say, okay, now, in the next, well, and this part you've got to give a finite timeline for, but in the next 24 hours, or you could even just do to the end of your shift if you wanted, what would be the most expensive mistake you could make? What would waste the most time? What could be the most damaging to customer relations? And if you're moving or things are moving around you, what could cause the most serious injury? And now you're not talking about anything that anybody can get blamed for. You're just talking about what could happen in the future. And so people are very free to talk about it. It's amazing to me how much thought they put into it, how much voluntary effort, how honest they are. But I suppose more than anything else, is how effective it is at actually preventing the most expensive mistake, the most time-consuming mistake, the one that would be the most damaging to relationships, either inside or outside customers, and, and with safety. And I started this off with my kids in freestyle skiing, like I said, and when my son came back to me and said, this this actually works, you know, it, it made me think about it today, right when I thought about, you know, catching, catching an edge at high speed. So right from the get go, this has been successful. About the only thing I can say is, gosh, I wish it didn't take me. I wish it didn't take me quite so long. Hmm. Well, Larry, that brings us to the end of the conclusion of this whole podcast series. And we really have come a long way. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, uh, hopefully now, if someone 
If someone asks you, why do people rush or what causes unintentional injuries? With any luck at all, you're not going to say poor planning or hazards. Now, whether you want to explain all of these paradigm shifts is up to you. <laughs> well, I think I'd rather just recommend the book and the podcast, and I'll leave the explaining up to you, Larry. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. This has been the Defenseless Moments podcast with Larry Wilson. I'm Hunter Visser, and I'll see you next time when we unpack Larry's newest book, Solving SIPs, The Missing Piece, coming out sometime early next summer. <laughs>